Amen. Good morning, church. Hi, I'm Jason. I am one of the teaching elders here. So we're going to continue today in the, uh, in the scripture of Acts. And if you remember, our sermon series is about gathering to go. So we gather here every Sunday. We are called in mission to go out and take that and do something uh, in our communities, in our relationships, uh, really acknowledging we are on mission together. As Christians, we are on mission together, okay? So I want to show you just a, a picture of the mission that Paul and Barnabas are on right now. I always like the graphic of seeing where they're traveling to and from. So Paul started in Antioch. You should be able to see that on the right side of the map there. And where we are going today is Lystra, which is kind of the left center portion of the map. So he started in Antioch, missioned out from there. He's about to wrap things up and kind of move, start moving back. Well, Paul and Barnabas, they've just left the town of Iconium. And they left it because the people there didn't like hearing what they were bringing. So they left in the form of being chased out of town, all right? Um, Iconium's about 18 miles away. So they've traveled now 18 miles. They've landed in Lystra. And the thing to keep in mind is Paul is preaching in areas that have never heard anything about Jesus. This is, this is new to them. And I think the thing to acknowledge is when we preach about Jesus, you know, as Christians, we look at that as a way to unite us. But when people don't know who Jesus is, it can divide us. It can push us the other way. So that's kind of the tension these guys are navigating on their, on their journey. So as I go through the scripture today, there's two questions I want you to be asking yourself. One of them is, do I have the right view of God? So think about you personally. Do you have the right view of God? The second question I want you to ask yourself is, what am I willing to do in the name of Jesus? What am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to do in the name of Jesus? So we are going to start in Acts 14, and it is verses 6 through 20. I'm just going to kind of go, or 8 through 20, I'm just going to go through just chunks of it, and we're going to kind of work our way through it. So verse 8 <clears throat> starts with, in Lystra... There sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed. Okay, so this man had the faith to be healed. And called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So I want to give you a reminder in Scripture. If we go to Matthew 10.1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them the authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. So he gave his disciples the power, the authority to go heal. But I think it's interesting in their missional journey, that was never their starting point, right? They would heal in their journey, but that was never what they led with. They always led with the gospel. Um, and this was, the other thing to note with Lystra, this is the first time they went into a community and didn't go straight to the synagogue to preach. 
They went out to the people to preach. So the imagery in this video, think about, is there's a man, man in the crowd. Paul is, Paul is preaching. He's scanning the crowd, and he sees something that has the faith, and he calls them out. And he says, you have the faith, you, have the faith. You, are, you are healed. And the man stands up. Now, do you think everybody in the crowd knew that this man had a disability? Absolutely they did. They probably knew it since his birth, right? So this is a big deal that they are seeing this happen right before, right before their eyes. So as, as Paul is preaching the word. So let's continue with verse 11. And verse 11 starts with, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So there's a lot going on in these verses. And I want to start with... They shouted in the Laconian language. Have any of you ever been in a foreign country and didn't really understand what the language was? So imagine they're in this foreign area. It brought to me an image from probably about 15 years ago for me. Um, I, was, I was with a group. We were on a mission trip in Mexico. And the group for the day decided to go out to the community of Ensenada. And Ensenada is this port city. It's really busy. They're shopping. So just think kind of Mexico shops and things like that. But the day we were there, it was dead quiet. You didn't see anybody on the streets. Um, it was just dead quiet. So we're walking around on the streets saying, what, you know, what's really going on here? And pretty soon, people just start flooding out of their houses. They're driving the cars. They're honking horns. They're they're screaming in their language. What had just happened was Mexico had just won a game in the World Cup. <laughs> so imagine sitting there as outsiders. You get to that point. There's nobody there. But all of a sudden, people are screaming and yelling and ranting and raving, and you can't figure out what it is. I'll tell you, for me, there's a little piece of anxiety that comes up. And the first thing I say is, are we safe? Right? And then you see the soccer balls, and you see the flags, and you see all those, and you start to realize, hey, that's what, just, that's what just happened. So I'm sure there was a little bit of fear in Paul and Barnabas when these guys started shouting in their own, in their own language. The second thing that I want to I call out is they said they had a picture of God in their, own, in their own eyes, right? They had a picture of who God was through what their lens was. So I've got another picture I'm going to show you. I, uh, I first stepped into a church when I was 26 years old, and people will often ask me, you know, what, who was God when you were little? And I'll tell you, this is my picture of God. This was what the Bibles were in the doctor's office. If you, if you were, grew up in the 70s, you remember there was always Bibles in the doctor's office. That was my picture. I didn't know who it was. You know, it's a guy in a robe. Um, Looks like he's talking to some people. I had no idea who God was. So my picture was not clear of who God was. Now, my image of God has certainly been influenced by things like how I was raised, 
right? I just told you I was not raised in a church. That influenced my beliefs around God. My influence, I've been influenced by things I've heard about God and experiences I've had about God. And I'd say the other thing that influences it is how I want God to be. I get a picture in my mind of who God is, and it's, that, is my, that is my picture. So in, in, this, in this verse, they're talking about they started to call them Zeus and Hermes. And here is the reason that they did that. So in this area, imagine they don't, they don't know a god. Um, their gods are Greek gods, because this is, a, this is a Roman city. It was part of Roman culture that these Greek gods would be there, and they would really hold together what happened inside the cities. So in Greek, Greek culture, it was common to say things like, gods will take on human form and they will come to us, right? And the legend in this area was that Zeus and Hermes, they had come down to the earth in the form of mortals, and everybody rejected them but two people. An elderly couple brought them in, they showed them hospitality, they greeted them, they did those things, and after that, the entire city was wiped out. So think about what is their image of God. Their image is through Greek, people come down, they show up as mortals, and then there's bad things that happen after that. Some other things that I think are interesting about that is Paul uses terms like Lord, he uses terms like Son of God. Uh, coincidentally, those are the same terms they would have used for the Roman emperor. So imagine Paul is coming in, he's using those terms, they're thinking he's talking about Rome, they've got this connection to these Greek gods, that is their picture, right? He's fulfilling their picture. It's interesting that they've seen this miracle take place, but they still have not connected that to, to Jesus. And at the end of that scripture, it talks about people starting to bring sacrifices. Now, at this point in time, I'm guessing Paul and Barnabas are saying, boy, something has gone way off the rails here. They are recognizing that things aren't quite right with what's going on in the area. So back to that first question I asked you, do I have a right view of God, right? Would you say that these folks had a right view of God? You can say it. No, not at all. They, they had kind of a skewed view of what that looked like. So let's continue then with, uh, with verse 14. It says, but, the, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, they rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not let him, let him, left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provided you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. 
Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing them. So at that point in time, tearing your clothes was essentially grabbing your collar and ripping it. And that was a sign of rejecting it. So they wanted to give this imagery to, to the people of Lystra saying, I reject what you're saying. They're tearing their clothes, their clothes apart. And really what Paul was saying was, quit worshiping idols. Recognize that he is who allows things to happen. It's not from us, right? So acknowledge the greater, the greater God. And really thinking about they could not think about the fact that they could not leave these false idols. It was so deeply entrenched in their belief system, they could not leave it. So I'll be honest, when I read through that scripture, I thought about our last sermon series around fasting. Does it take us to give something up to see that something is different, right? They need to give up their idols to see that something is, something is different. So let's continue to, to verse 19. It starts with, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So there are a lot of things going on in those last, last couple of verses. Um, so, so think about these people are out to get Paul and Barnabas. They traveled hundreds of miles to find them. Do you think they're hostile towards our God? Absolutely they are. Um, I've, got, I've got a picture of, of the stoning. So stoning was a, was a common form of, of discipline, and stoning generally ended in death. Now, I don't know, as a kid, I had a, I, I had a rock thrown at me once. I probably said something sassy and had a rock thrown at me. Anybody ever had a rock thrown at them? It hurts, right? Have you ever had a stone thrown at you? So I wanted to show the picture. Let's put that picture back up there to give you a picture in your mind of what stoning actually looks like. So imagine Paul's preaching the word, they're getting chased. He ends up in town somewhere where the townspeople come after him with stones. Surrounded by a mob, what do you have, right? All you have at that point is your faith in God. How do you, how do you respond how do you respond to that? So it, it says in the scripture, the disciples gathered around him. So there's a piece of me, it's not clear, did they heal him, right? Remember, the disciples have the ability to heal. Did they, did they heal him? Or could Paul have been remembering a stoning that happened earlier inside of Acts. If you remember earlier in Acts, Stephen was stoned. And I want to read, um, it's from Acts 7, verses 54 through 8-1. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. 
and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. So Stephen... In the midst of being stoned, there's only one place for him, and it's to look up for the glory of God, and he sees that, right? And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears, so the people that were stoning put their hands over their ears and began shouting. So they're, they're rushing him. They rushed him, they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats, laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul, who is Paul, was one of the witnesses. And he agreed completely to the killing of Stephen. So imagine Saul now is on the receiving end of a stoning, right? I think he probably had that image in his mind of... He saw what Stephen did. Stephen looked up. He went to his Lord. He saw his Lord, and he said, don't curse those who stoned me. Forgive those who stoned me, right? I'm sure Paul connected with that. And I think it's crazy. After he was stoned, he got up and went back to the city. How many of you would run like crazy <laughs> out, of, out of there, right? If somebody was attacking you, would you run back to your, to your attacker? So thinking about, again, what would we do as Christians in the name of Jesus? Are we willing through stoning, through persecution, through all of those things to get back up and go? And go again. So I want to come back. I want to come back around to those two to those two questions. Do I have a right view of God? Do, how do I define how do I define God? In Romans uh, eight twenty eight. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. I think the thing that's tricky for people to get their head around with God is God tells us how to live. He tells us to live different. He tells us to live our ways. We don't like being told what to do, right? So that, that is a tension that people struggle with is, is that whole notion of he calls us how to live, and it's really offensive to the world. You know, if you ever listen to the news, what are they telling you? How you should live. If you ever listen to marketing and advertising, what are they telling you? How you should live. We don't like that, right? I, I read in a couple, of, a couple of commentaries two things around 
really this right view of God that really, really stuck with me. The first one is that Jesus is the visible image of an, unvisible, of an invisible God. Okay? So imagine Paul and Barnabas out there in this community preaching words, healing, doing those things. And what is going on is people are seeing what God is like, what his grace is like, what his mercy is like, what all of those things are, but they're rejecting it. It's offensive. It's offensive to them, right? They're pushing back against it. The other one that I read was the statement, a lack or absence of faith is the presence of darkness. So again, if you think about the folks that were coming after them, They were coming after them because of lack of faith. They didn't understand. What they were bringing was darkness. They were bringing harshness to the folks that were there. So the second question I asked you is, what am I willing to do in the name of Jesus? What am I willing? How how am I going to walk out of here today and step forward in the name of Jesus? What am I willing to do? So last week... Aubrey had you do a little hand-raising exercise. I'm going to have you do a little bit of hand-raising exercise. Pressure is on, right? If you serve in ministry, could be through Celebrate, could be anywhere else, I want you to raise your hand. If you serve, keep your hand raised, if you serve outside of the church, outside of ministries, but you do it in the name of Jesus, raise your hand. Now look around the room and see all the hands that are up, right? Lots of hands are up. You can put, you can put your hands down. I, uh, I, I get the opportunity in my role to go to many different churches and, and hear different pastors speak. And I was at one earlier this year, and one thing that stuck out in my mind is this pastor said, you know y'all Christians are crazy. You say these things, but you do something different. Uh, We talked as a staff this week that sometimes the hardest people for us to work with are the people that call themselves Christians. That's kind of a harsh reality, isn't it? We have a hard time getting along with one another. I spent, in, in my career, I spent over 20 years in business, and I had, boy, I had great, great jobs. But in business, one of the things that comes with that is you have to make hard decisions, so some of the decisions I'd have to make were, are we going to lay off employees? Are we going to do, do things like that? Well, one year, um, we actually had to make decisions like that in one of the plants, and I had a death threat against me. So imagine a death threat coming to me. I've got a wife. I've got a young family. Um, the police in town had to follow me around for a couple of weeks to make sure that the threat wasn't, wasn't viable. That sounds pretty, pretty crummy, doesn't it? I will say this, that pales in comparison to the things we face in ministry. There is nothing harder than stepping forward in our faith and leading through our, leading through our faith. Um, I will say this, I've been yelled at by people by being in ministry. I've been talked about behind my back, I've been slandered, I've been stalked, I've been questioned. I've had churches and donors tell me you should not be serving those people. 
because I don't like the way they do things, right? What would Jesus say? How would we, how would we step out into that? And I'll, I'll be honest, I've been to the point of saying, why would anybody do this? <laughs> is, it, is it time to be done? Is it time to wrap things up, right? But what keeps bringing me back? What keeps bringing you back? It's the one and only. It's Jesus. Do we have the courage to continue to step out and drive in our, in our faith? This week, this week we did a uh, we did an all staff meeting with our staff at the well, and I shared with I shared with them some scripture that too it come it comes from Paul, okay, and it's out of it's out of Ephesians. It's Ephesians four, and it starts with therefore, and I want you to put I want you to put yourself into these words. Therefore, I, I a prisoner for serving the Lord, right? When we say yes, we become a prisoner to what he is calling us into. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. And this is when he shifts it a little bit. He says, always be humble and gentle. When somebody comes at you, with accusations, with whatever, through our faith, are we willing to come humbly and gently? Are we willing to turn the other, the other direction? Be patient with one another. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. I have not met anybody who doesn't have faults, right? We all have our stuff. We all have our, our junk, how do we step into that? Do we step into it with grace, with compassion? Do we step into it with mercy? How do we step into that with people? It continues, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. We talked, we talked this week as a staff on what united means. So we can think about the word unity and we can think about the word kind of unified, right? Now, unity, the only way we have unity as a group is we have to be connected to Jesus. We've got to be in our Bibles. We've got to be connected to Jesus. And a lot of the readings that I did used, used an, Im, uh, an image, kind of a metaphor of think, think of a bicycle wheel. It's got a hub in the middle, and it's got spokes, that wheel doesn't work without two things, without the hub and without the spokes. The spokes are us. The hub is Jesus. If we are not connected to Jesus, we're not very good with the rest of the spokes, right? So we've got to stay connected. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. So think back to the journey that Paul and Barnabas were on as they went to Lystra. They went in to share a message of hope to the people of Lystra. They healed a man, right? They realize in the middle of it, things aren't right. 
things aren't right and that these people believe in a God that's different than the God we are preaching. And honestly, they didn't know how to overcome it in the moment. And what happened when they didn't know how to overcome it in the moment is it got out of control. And people started attacking and ultimately it leads to stoning. So how do we respond when we get in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the kind of the harsh reality? And I loved the image of Stephen. He looked up. Are we looking up when we get into the middle of the fire? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the worship team up. And I want to pray. So let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just, we just praise you in so many things. Lord, as we listen to your word today, Lord, we are reminded that outside of these four walls, we are battling a world that is full of darkness. And as we learn that, that uh, being full of darkness uh, is the absence of faith. So Lord, I just pray in our communities, I pray in our relationships that, uh, that faith can be found. I pray that as we walk outside of these doors, Lord, we can be lights in our community. Lord, I pray that we can connect with people in supernatural ways. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for our church. I pray for courage. I pray for strength. I pray that they continue to put one foot in front of the other in your name. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are, for what you've done, what you continue to do, and for the calling that you have placed on our lives. Lord, I'm just humbled by your mercy, by your grace. And Lord, I just pray we all say yes. And we pray all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. You can have it all, Every part of my world Take this life and breathe on This heart that is now yours You can have it all, Every part of my world So take this life and breathe on This heart that is now 